privilege to look at all of your smiling faces here who have battled the COVID, the virus to get here. Uh, so we're just we're thankful for this opportunity to praise the Lord in his house this morning. God is truly good. His mercy endures forever and his truth endures to all generations. And I just uh, don't want us to take for granted that we are here today. And we're able to worship today. Will somebody give him a hand clap of praise? Thank you. Lord God, 
We thank you for your favor, Lord God. We thank you for your sovereignty in this world today, Lord, that, that, that knows when we should move here and when we should go there, Lord God. We, we thank you for your infinite wisdom this morning, Lord. We thank you right now that though the world may be frantic, Lord God, that your people are, are, are steady in your word, Lord God. We're, we're steady and know that your love is faithful, Lord God. Your plan is just, Lord God. So right now, Lord God, we just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for even when the times that we don't know, Lord God. We, and the only thing that we do know is you, Lord God. We thank We're thankful just to know you. Thankful just to know your love and your grace, Lord God, your steadfast love and your faithfulness, Lord. You truly are our provider, Lord God. You are our healer, Lord God. You are our great physician, Lord God. And there's nothing that we feel this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pause right now just to say thank you for, for even being able to gather here today, Lord God. To, for the opportunity to gather with other saints just to lift up your holy and your righteous name. We're thankful that we can just praise you this morning, Lord God, that we can lift up holy hands in your holy temple, Lord God, this morning. And Lord God, we just want to lift up our nation right now. We want to lift up the world as there are those who are suffering from, from different illnesses, Lord God. We ask right now, Lord God, that you touch, Lord God, in only the way that you can. Lord God, we ask right now that you lift up the bereaved families, Lord God, those who may have lost loved ones, those who may have um, been on their sick bed this morning, Lord God, be with them as they battle different elements, Lord God. And Lord God, I've had to, for us to praise you even more, that we're able to lift up holy hands. That we're able to stand on our feet, Lord God, and give you the praise and the honor and the glory, Lord God. We, we thankful right now, Lord God, and, and we let us never take for granted, Lord God, our ability, Lord God, that you give us to know you and to worship you, Lord God, and to praise you, Lord God. And let us never take for granted that, that you bring all good things, Lord God. That it's you, Lord God, who causes and holds the universe together, Lord God. That it's you who causes the sun to rise, Lord God, and the moon to shine, Lord. You are in control. And we thank you this morning, Lord God. Please, Lord God, lift up the man of God who will bring the word of God this morning, Lord God. Strengthen him to do your work, Lord God. Condition our ears to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that I do pray. Amen. And if you would stand with me as we enter into worship this morning.
there in the midnight hour, you can call on When you first get up, you can call on As you go about your day, you can call on On your lunch break, you can call on
Christians for centuries have always done in times of national crisis, and we will continue to look to our Heavenly Father. So please be in prayer, not only for one another, for our families, for our, uh, our friends and loved ones, but also be in prayer for our city. Be in prayer for our state, be in prayer for our nation, be in prayer for our governmental leaders. Let's be in prayer for this world as we all are coping with the effects of this pandemic that is going on. And you know, it's interesting enough, as the events were unfolding this week, I, the Lord just burned my heart just to make a pivot and step away quickly from, from Matthew, but I found it interesting that the last time we got together that I preached on the king's cure for anxiety. Oh, y'all don't remember? Remember it came out of Matthew 6. Let me repeat it for you just if you, if you forget just that quick. What Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what uh, you will put on. It's not like more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather to Mars, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious about toilet tissue? Why are you anxious about paper towels? <laughs> Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. But the folks who don't know Jesus seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. About when school starts back. About when I can stop telling you anyone. When I can send my kids back to school. Let's not worry about all that. <laughs> but tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. That's the last time we got together. And folks got the nerve to say the Bible that we read, the scripture that we digest is not relevant for today's world and life. God had already been preparing us not to trust in ourselves, not to trust in chariots, not to trust in kings, but to trust in him. And we do pray that God would give out leaders wisdom, that all pride and hubris would be crushed, that we would be able to love our neighbors well in this national crisis. Amen. And I also want to just mention, um, this is why it's so important that we have updated contact information for you. Uh, it, it, for like the past six months, we've been uh, trying to remind you that there are uh, membership information forms in the foyer on your way out. If you've got a new phone number, if you, if you are, aren't using your home phone anymore and you want us to contact you on uh, your cell phone, just 
fill one of those out, and uh, it would help us to get in contact with you. By God's grace, we'll be able to secure some software that will be able to allow us to contact every, everyone we have a number for. It allows us to send a text. If you don't have a text, it allows us to send an email. If you don't have an email, it allows us to send an automated robocall to you, letting you know what is going on. So it is very important. So if you're here and you have some up, uh, information that needs to be updated, please fill out that form on your way out. If you're watching online, just give us a call during this week from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., We'll be more than happy to update your information as we seek to be faithful, but also as we seek to, to find ways to serve our most vulnerable population. I don't know if you knew, but I, our largest single demographic here at Forest Baptist Church are those over the age of 65. That's our largest single demographic. Now, there's a lot, uh, and there's a lot of others that make up a large portion, but we need to serve those who uh, are. Uh, in our high-risk category very well. So some information about that will be coming out this week, even how you can be a blessing to the body. Amen? Amen. Well, enough of my rant. As the Lord has pulled back the curtain a little bit to remind us who's in charge, a sense of great solemnity has come over this nation. And as we enter into this, this season, as Christians, we should be reminded that God has not given us a spirit of faith. But he has indeed given us a, a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And may we be reminded of this promise as we approach the infallible, the inerrant, the authoritative, the sufficient word of God this morning. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles or on your device or at home, even on your computer to the 46th Division of Psalm. The 46th Division of Psalm this morning. And if you would, if you are able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm 46. You have to say amen. Psalm 46. This is Word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag on this morning's text. 
a Christian's courageous confidence in the midst of crisis. A Christian's courageous confidence in the midst of crisis. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, we do humbly approach your throne of grace. Knowing that from you and to you and through you are all things. And it's because of your will we exist. So, Father, we acknowledge your preeminence and your power, for you are creator and sustainer of all things. And, Father, you have personally revealed yourself to us through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And not only that, you have indwelled your people with your Holy Spirit. So, Father, thank you for this sense of unity of being known and knowing you. And may this be our confidence and strength that though we are weak, you are strong. Though we are feeble, you are eternal. Father, you have and hold all power in the palm of your hands. And Father, we thank you that you are in charge and in control. But Lord, even as we face crisis in this nation, crisis in this world, Lord, we continue to look to you in difficult times, just like we was looking to you in good times. But whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley of the shadow of death, Father, we continue to look to you for our strength, for our wisdom, for guidance. And Father, even now, help us to be your kingdom witnesses, that people would see us and how we respond and see the glory of Christ Jesus. Help us to not be a prideful, looking down on those who are in fear, but help us to be a calming bomb over this nation, oh God. Help us to be kingdom ambassadors, rightly declaring the good news of Christ, bringing calm, but pointing people to the very one who is the peace that surpasses our understanding, and that is our great Savior, Christ Jesus. So even Father, hide me behind that cross. May you speak a word to bring encouragement, transformation, confrontation of sin, repentance, and deliverance. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive what thus the Lord has said. Please speak to us, O God, in the precious and matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we do pray and all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. So what does it mean to have courage? What does it mean to have courage? The word defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary says courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. The thing about courage that's so beautiful and wonderful is the fact that you don't have to be unscared in order to be courageous. As a matter of fact, courage is that uh, ability to continue to maintain and persevere even in light of circumstances that would bring you fear. We're, we're talking about examples of courage like the soldier who was able to run into enemy fire in order to rescue a, a fallen brother or sister. We're talking about the type of courage that a firefighter has who runs into a burning building uh, when everyone is running out in order to rescue those who may be trapped inside. Courage 
is when the first responders ran into the collapsing towers on 9-11 to aid those surrounded by falling debris. Or even more so, we understand that courage is going back into slave-sullied land to emancipate over 300 enslaved image bearers of God without concern for life itself. What drives one to courage? What drives one to courageous acts is an internal clarity to behold the greater good. In these fearful days, what greater good could there be for others than to behold the glory of God through the calming witness of his people? Christians demonstrate a courage to this world when we show everyone that we believe there is a glorious God in heaven who is in control of everything. Or as we like to say around here, everything. See, but this courage does not come from ourselves. It doesn't come from, from us. This courage comes from God. Therefore, our, our big idea for the text this morning is a Christian's courage in the midst of crisis comes from complete confidence in God. A Christian's courage in the midst of crisis comes from complete confidence in God. This is the word of encouragement we received from the text this morning. In a world filled with uncertainty, chaos, and confusion, the psalmist declares his courageous confidence in the Lord. From these words penned by the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we see firstly, you can have courageous confidence in the midst of crisis simply because God is. Verses 1 through 3, the psalmist just declares to us, he has his presuppositional uh, idea of understanding. He doesn't reason, he doesn't do inductive reasoning. He just, uh, uh, he just comes out and tells you, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though his wave, though his waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at his swelling, the psalmist is referring to God being above all and through all, able to do all. Yeah. He likens God using this metaphor to a refuge. A refuge being the place that one would find shelter from a storm, from a hurricane, from a tsunami, from a tornado, or a refuge. Uh, a place where one is able to find refuge of safety from an attacking army seeking to steal, kill, and to destroy, and to overtake. Uh, but we see God is being likened to the very one who is able to keep his people safe in spite of the situation. He likens God to, to being our strength. Not, not, not so much God is demonstrating his strength, although when we wake up in the morning, beloved, God is demonstrating his strength. When you are able to open up your eyes and take a breath and get up out the bed for just that one moment, God is actually demonstrating his, his strength to overcome your wickedness. Because if it was if it was up to Satan, you would be struck down, separated. But God in his grace and mercy demonstrates his strength when you yawn in the morning when you first get up. God is demonstrating his strength. But here in the text, 
God is our strength. He's the one who holds us up. He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who protects us. What, what, what the psalmist is describing is a type of protection that lives outside of your ability to do your own thing. He's talking about a power to protect yourself that we just don't have because it doesn't come from us. But beloved, enlightening God to a refuge and strength, what, what I want you to consider, what the psalmist is doing uh, in this moment, he wants his readers to consider the isness of God. God is. He's pointing to the aseity of God. But what does it mean by the aseity of God? It talks about God who is absolutely sufficient, absolutely independent. He's autonomous from, from all of existence. He is totally self-existent and self-sufficient. God's aseity means no one created God. He just is God. He, he is the beholder and creator, the sustainer of all things. He, he's talking about the type of experience that the psalmist says in Psalm 92 where he declares, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are God. You just is. You're powerful. You're mighty. You're strong. There's, there's no one like you. You have no equal. Can't nobody get on your level. He's talking about the isness of God. But not only his isness in the sense of his, his personal independence and autonomy from all things, but he's talking about the isness of the God as it relates to how he ministers to us. Reflect on the first time God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus, the third chapter. As Moses is on the west side of the city, uh, taking up his, his sheep, and, and, and he sees the burning bush. And out from the burning bush, God calls unto him and says, Moses, you come on over here, let me holler at you for a second. And as he gets over there, he tells him, you are on holy land because my holy ground because my presence is here. And as God begins to direct and give, uh, give guidance and direction to Moses, Moses is, is asking, well, well, who do I say has sent me? And God, he doesn't give him a name. He doesn't say, I'm Jehovah Rapha. He doesn't say, I'm Jehovah Nisi. He doesn't say, I'm Jehovah Sabaoth. He doesn't give him any time. He doesn't say, I'm Yahweh. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm El Elyon. He doesn't say I'm, I'm Elohim. He, he doesn't give him a name on his characteristic. He just gives him his isness and says, I am that I am. And when you go to Pharaoh and your people, just tell them, I am has sinned. See, but notice in the isness of God, there's a, there's, there's, there's a difference because the isness to Pharaoh is a different isness to the people. His isness to Pharaoh is a reminder that Pharaoh, you think you in charge. Pharaoh, you think you got this under control. Pharaoh, you think you can do whatever you want to do, but, but let me remind you that I'm the one that can in control. I am God. Not the, not the petty uh, uh, gods that you worship, the, the, the God of water, the God of the sun, the God of frogs, the God of nature. He's saying those aren't real gods, but I am that I am God. He's declaring his authority, saying I am Pharaoh, 
And because I am, let my people go. But as Moses goes to talk to the Israelites, the I am takes on a different connotation. Because when he begins to report to the people that when, when the I am sets us free, and when he sends us into the wilderness, he's going to be every single thing we need. We may be facing challenges in the wilderness that we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's behind that rock. We don't know what's behind the mountain. We don't know what's on the other side of the sea. But we know that the I am is with us. And if he is with us, we will have every single thing that we need. The psalmist here is pointing the people to this business of God. The one who has promised for his people that I will not leave you nor forsake you. The one that has promised, seek ye first to keep my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll take care of all that other stuff. The very one who has created ex nihilo, who speaks and the very existence of things coming to me. He's talking about that God. God is our refuge and strength. But he goes on and he says, a very present help in trouble. See, I like that talk. A very present help in trouble. See, the psalmist is his assurance of the presentness of God is predicated upon Israel's past experiences with God. Did you catch that? You can easily say that. You can say the, the existence of God is flows out of the reality of God was. God had always demonstrated his isness to the people of Israel in the past. We simply start off where Brother McGee left off last week. The people are leaving Egypt. And beloved, before they even left Egypt, did you, did you notice in the text that the, the folks leaving Egypt get some reparations and restitution before they even get up out the country? He said, go to the people and ask them for what they have. And the people who was in the land broke and broken down are able to come up out of land with their heads up and their pockets back. And they're able to go. That's the business of God. He said, you ain't had nothing before, but I'm going to give you more than you have, more than enough for you right now. And they, they walk up out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and God says, I want you to go over. We don't know how to get over there, God, but I'm going to show you and I'm going to tell you. And, and he begins to open up the Red Sea and the people walk, walk through. I love how the, how the narrator gives out the subtext. He says on dry ground. Yeah. See, God is able to take some wet, some muddy, broken situations, open them up in a, in a way to make you walk on dry ground. Love it. God is the, the isness of God who is and the people that go over to the wilderness and they're complaining about not having anything to drink. And the great I am says, I am the one who's going to give you a living water. And, and Moses just, just tap the rock and, he, and a, a stream flows out of, of the rock. It doesn't say just a little trickle. It doesn't say just a little spigot. But a river, a stream begins to flow out of nothing. That's the I am God. And they complain about not having anything to eat. God says, well, I'm just going to rain down bread from heaven. I got that. I got that angel food for you. And I'm going to, you just get up. You ain't got to do nothing. You ain't got to uh, uh, get the ground ready the day before. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to touch anything that I'm doing. My instance is going to show up and feed you day by day for 40 years. 
and come up against the people and they try to overthrow Israel. God steps in and he, he crushes the people on their behalf. That's the isness of God. He is a protector. They're getting ready to, to head over into Jericho, about to cross the Jordan River. And God opens up the river even there and they walk across on, on dry ground. Once again, the isness of God is with the people. And the isness of God went with them through all the, 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 the conquering of the land. And the isness of God gave their inheritance to all of, all of Israel. And, and the people are established because of the isness of God back then. Beloved, the psalmist is merely looking back in his river mirror and seeing how faithful God has always been. He's always been with us. He's always been for us. He's always blessed us. If he did it back then, beloved, he's going to do it now. So he said, God is a a refuge in our strength, a very present help in trouble. See, beloved, I don't know where you've been in your life, but sometimes in order for you to go forward in a crisis, you need to pause, pump your bricks a minute, and look back where God brought you from in the first place. You know your story. You know where God brought you through. You know what mountains he brought you over. You know what valleys he brought you through. You know the story. You can recite it in your head. As a matter of fact, you think about it right now. That God took you out and he brought you in. He took you out of darkness and brought you in his marvelous light. He took you out the club and brought you in the church. He took you off the bottom and gave you a Bible. He took that meat out your mouth and gave you worship on your lips. Life gets so off the hook. Those mountains that 
get thrown into the sea. I don't know what mountain you may have been holding on to this week. You may have been holding on to your job. But you see that mountain can be moved. You may have been holding on to, to, uh, uh, to your schooling. But you see that mountain can be moved. You may be holding on to the fact that you're able to just go to the store when you want to about what you want to. But that mountain's been moved too. He's talking about a crisis in life that you ain't got no control over. Though the mountains be moved. For the waters roar and foam. I'm just wondering. The reality that we live in a fallen world reminds us that we can never place our faith and trust in ourselves. Beloved, how is the isness of God being put on display in your own father? Is God a very present help in your trouble? Or are you trying to figure it out yourself? To what does God's isness provide a therefore in your life? In the midst of situations filled with fear and anxiety, are you able to look back over your life to see God showed up back then? Surely he can show up now. But we pray like Jesus, nevertheless, nevertheless. not my will, but your will be done. Because God is, you don't have to fear. But in verses 4 and 7, he, he moves his narrative, and he, he moves this song, and he begins to say, you can have courageous confidence in the midst of crisis because God is present. God is present, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist is talking specifically about the city of God, Jerusalem. This psalm, along with some others, are in a series called the Songs of Zion. Songs that would have been sang in the temple. Led by the sons of Korah, this Levitical choir, to remind the people over and over again that the presence of God was in their midst. God was in the city with them, and because God was in the city with them, they need not fear. The psalmist wants us to understand the simple truth that wherever God is, there is protection. Wherever God is present, there is protection. As he talks about the city of God, he, he gives an almost Edenic setting. It's almost like he's taking us back to Eden to talk about how beautiful the city of God is. And the fact that it's the place of God's presence. He said there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God. In the, the Garden of Eden, there was rivers running throughout the, the garden as the life-giving supply. And not only is he talking about this life-giving supply that the waters provide, he is giving this, this river, this, this streams of water in direct contrast to the roaring and raging sea. 
See, what he's saying is, when you're in the presence of God, you got some calm, still waters. But outside the presence of God, there is craziness, there is confusion, there are well, waters that are raging and stirring. But these are calm waters in this city. Because in this city is the holy habitation of El Elyon, God the Most High. This holy habitation, or it can be translated the tabernacle. He's talking about how God, his presence with the people in the Old Testament, the way that, that God traveled with his people was in the tabernacle. And wherever the people of Israel set down the tabernacle, they were to camp around the tabernacle because that was the place where God would dwell with his people and his people would be able to dwell with God. So what the psalmist is saying, just like the tabernacle that traveled through the wilderness for 40 years and came into the land, just like the tabernacle that would go out to war and fight just like the tabernacle that provided steady safety and security, so is the city of God. And not just the city, but more in fact, the people who belong to God. He's talking about the place where God's people dwell. That's why it's the city of God. He's there and his people are there. He says God is in the midst of her. Just like in the Old Testament, we saw how Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the death, enjoying fellowship, enjoying one another. He's helping us to see that in the presence of God, there is almost a restoration of Eden, a rolling back of the chaos and confusion brought in by sin. And when you are in, in the city of God, you are in his very but not only that, that only are we safe in his presence because God is in the midst. But I like how he says, God will help her when morning dawns. There's two ways we can look at this. We can look at it as when morning dawns. It's after you come through a hard night. After you've come through the danger. After you've come through despair. After you've, you've been low. There's, there's usually a dawning of light. That lets you see that you are coming out of the situation, that you are coming out of the, the, uh, the circumstance, that God was with you in the night, and now he is allowing you to see the one you made it through. The yeah. so weeping may last for not. Joy comes in the morning. But it can be looked at that way, but also. He says, God will help her for men morning dawns. In ancient Near Eastern civilizations, one of the tactics in warfare was to wait for the crack of dawn before you attack your enemy. And so, so the psalmist, in a way, he says, whether it's night or day, whether you're coming through or about to go in, that God is with his people providing the help that they need. So he, for, for the Christian, uh, we can call this a win-win situation. Uh, whether you're coming out of trouble, God's going to be with you. Or whether you're going in to trouble, God's going to be with you. And whether we, we one week with coronavirus going in, or whether we're two months with coronavirus, God's going to be with us either way. He's with his people. And he simply closes with this refrain, refrain 
That's repeated here in verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. Whenever the text uses this Lord of hosts, this Jehovah Sabaoth, it's usually in the sense of not so much the angels come and they begin to fight this war, but the angels come and, and this army comes to, to help and to rescue on God's behalf. They're coming to, to make sure what God decrees and declares takes place just like he wants. He says, the Lord of hosts, he's with us. The God who brought all the armies. The one who can, can speak in a legion of angels will come to his aid. He's the one who's in control. But then he says the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's, it's almost in a sense he's reminding the people of their beginnings before Jacob became Israel. Before I actually made you a people, I was your fortress. But not only that, we can, we can look at this and, and think about how, how Jacob was a deceiver. How Jacob was a trickster. How Jacob didn't have it all together. But God in his infinite wisdom and grace, he, he takes the trickster. He takes the liar. He takes the deceiver. And he, and he removes all of who he is out of him. And he fills him up with everything he wants him to be. So much so, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel because he had a work for him to do. He's saying, the God that was before us, the God that transformed us, the God that was with us, that is the God who was our fortress. That there's never been a moment that God had not had his hand over our lives. He says the presence of God provides protection for his people. But then he closes the song by simply reminding us you can have courageous confidence in the midst of crisis because God is preeminent. Verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He says, come. Come look at this, this God who's able to work on your behalf. As a matter of fact, where it says, come behold the works of the Lord, he's talking about the judgment that God dispenses upon his enemies. Come watch God take care of this situation. Come look while God takes care of your enemies. Come watch that those who stand up against you will be defeated. Come, come see how God is, is mitigating these issues on your behalf right now. Come. Behold the works of the Lord. It's, see, it's God's judgment upon his enemies that would decimate and destroy their warfare. The, the nations, are, they want to come up against God's people. They want to inflict damage. But God's judgment begins to decimate their warfare. And it's actually through God's judgment that peace will be ushered into the city of peace. He says he, he makes war cease to the end of the earth. How does he does that? How, how does he do that? 
He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chair. Every weapon of warfare set against God's people, God breaks. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Well, how does that work? Because God, Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of armies, he's going before you. And when they're rearing back to take a swing at you, he's, he's breaking their spears in half. They can't even get a good swing off because he's breaking the very weapons of warfare that's being brought against God's people. When they go back to pull the, the bow, he, he shatters the bow. The very means that would bring one into war, he says he burns them with fire. Peace is ushered in because God's enemies will have no place. They will have no place. But then lastly, here this peace, I, I would always read this. Be still and know that I am God. In the sense that I need to chill out. Because God is in control. Now understand, it means that in the least. Because right here, you notice that throughout the text, no other sentence is in quotes. This is God speaking himself. And, and, and this is not the psalmist speaking on God's behalf. And God declares himself He's actually not talking to us. He's talking to the nations that want to totter and rage. He's talking to the people who pick up the spear and pick up the bow. He's talking about the folks who want to get on their chariots and give you hell on the job. He's, he's, he's the claim. He is making a prophetic declaration to those enemies who comes up against the people of God. He's saying, y'all who want to mess with my people. Be still and know that I am God. And you may not want to exalt me and worship me right now, but I will be exalted among your nations. Those nations who worship a false God. Those nations who want to do it their own way. And I will be exalted in this earth. The same earth that want to rise up, but when I speak, they, they melt away. You ever seen somebody melt away? You, you, you in a room and they got their back to the door and they talking big. Oh yeah, I can't stand them anyway. They get on my nerves. If I see them right now, you know, I just handle my business. And, and you look like, And they look behind them, and the very person they talking to now walked up in the door. And, and if they melt all of a sudden, they oh, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about somebody else. Oh, I wasn't, you know, we cool. No, we, we ain't got no issues. We ain't got no beef. And they just melt. And, and on that day, when the day, when the word of God says that every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, there's going to be a whole lot of before the judgment seat of God, because that on earth they was talking big. I can I can live how I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. I can talk however I want to talk. I can go wherever I want to go. And if you don't like it, just get out of my way. And they're gonna stand before the throne, the, the, 
the judgment seat of God, and they go like, oops, my bad, God. You know, I was just playing. I wasn't really serious. No, give me another chance, please. And there's going to be a whole lot of folks melting before the glory of God. Because he declares, I will be exalted. See, beloved, here's the key. God's glory is actually our ultimate source of confidence. Because God will bring forth his glory as the sea covers the, the, the land. As, as the glory of God is guaranteed 100% back by the blood of Jesus to enter into this earth and his glory will be shown forth because his glory will come forth we know that if we are on his side that, that we won't look at the glory as it's coming we'll be caught up with all the saints reflecting the glorious image of Christ Jesus to all we come in contact with and when God causes people to himself and begins to use them for his glory, we begin to shine radiantly. And because we have been 100% guaranteed that the, the glory of God is coming, our confidence is when he comes, we come in too. It don't matter what stand up against us. It don't matter what pandemic. It don't matter what, what, what sickness in the body. It does not matter because the, as long His people have confidence. So it's through the, the psalmist. Though the psalmist is writing about a confidence he had over 2,000 years ago, we still have this incredible hope today. Don't we? The same God over creation back then is the same God over all of creation now. And our hope is in the same God who tabernacled with us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. See, in the scriptures, we see Emmanuel constantly in the middle of a crisis of chaos. Jesus, he's in the middle of the storm with his disciples. Jesus. He's in the middle of demonic activity that no one had the strength to subdue. Jesus, he's in the middle of communicable leprous touches. Jesus, he's in the middle of brokenness when death comes near. But beloved, we see that Jesus was in the middle of chaos and crisis. But the scriptures also testify that, that, that it's the same Emmanuel who's in complete control of the crisis and chaos. Because from the middle of the sea, Jesus declares, peace, be still. From the middle of a satanic stained tomb, Jesus declares, come out. From the middle of a crowded roadside, Jesus declares, be clean. From the middle of a bereaved bedroom, Jesus declares, Talitha Kumi, little girl, get up. And from the middle of a national emergency, Jesus declares to you and Jesus declares to me, be still and know that I am God because I am that I am. I'll leave you with this, beloved. 
first way we can apply this is take time to remember the faithfulness of God in the past. God's been faithful in your past. He'll be faithful right now. Secondly, take time to meditate upon the present promises of God. And how do we know the present promises of God? We open up his word and begin to read through the scriptures. Thirdly, take time to cast your cares and anxieties upon the Lord through prayer. You, when you feel yourself getting worked up, when you feel yourself getting concerned, maybe you need to turn off MSNBC. Maybe you need to turn off CNN. Maybe you just need to turn off WDRB just for a minute, put it on mute, and you need to bow your head and go before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I know what it looked like, but you is. Fourthly, take time to request wisdom from God. Love, we need wisdom. How to live in this world. How to live in this national crisis. And fifth, take time to serve others in spite of the crisis for the glory of God. Don't be so worried about yourself that you forget everybody else. A Christian's courage in the midst of crisis comes from the complete confidence in God. Let us pray. Gracious eternal Father, we thank you for your word and how we can stand upon your promises. So even right now, Lord, you have instructed us to be anxious for nothing. So Father, I ask that you would begin to heal all anxiety, to reduce all fear, and help us to be soft and light in the midst of this national crisis. Father, indeed, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would place a hedge of protection about us, your people. Please keep us from sickness and disease. Please bring healing to those who have contracted this virus already. Have mercy upon those and their families that have lost loved ones and are in bereavement. But Father, we ask that you, your ultimate healing would, would take place over this entire nation, oh God. But Lord, for those who belong to you, we know because you promised that all things work together for good. To those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So Father, help us to understand what would you have us to do right now in the name of Jesus. Because we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand. Father, coronavirus did not take you off guard, but you have been preparing even this situation that your glory was shine for. So Father, help us to have Christian impact upon those who come in contact with even now. For the one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I ask that you would draw them near to you by the power of your word. The power of your Holy Spirit, please regenerate their hearts that they would receive. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you. And Father, we declare and we proclaim that we will not stand on the sinking sand, but that we will stand upon the solid rock, who is Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's people say it together. Amen. Father heaven, please forgive us for our sins. For those ways we have sinned against you, the ways we have sinned against one another. And ask that we will go out, encourage and strengthen by your word. Please give us a spirit of boldness. Please give us supernatural wisdom from above to make right decisions. Father, please give our governmental leaders wisdom from on high. Not wisdom from man. Not wisdom from a political party. But wisdom from above. Father, please be with your kingdom people. Help us to be godly witnesses. It's for your glory and for your name's sake. Amen. As we prepare to leave from this place, your way out, you'll notice there are two sets of baskets in the back. We ask that on your way out, you would give your tithes and offering for the work of kingdom ministry as an act of worship. You can either give on your way out, you can use the giving link on our website, give your tithes and offering or donation, or you can drop off the check during this week to the office between 8 and 3 p.m. But as we prepare to leave this great place and never from the presence of God, 
shine upon you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise in glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Now the gospel we say together.